0: Good morning. Well, we have a lot to cover this morning, so I'm going to begin with a word of prayer and and we'll get started. Father, You are God and there is none like You. And we thank You that, um, that You allowed Jesus Christ or Christ to come to this earth, become a man, and to live and to die for us so that uh, we could have reconciliation with You. There's no other way for us to be made right before You apart from Him. And So we're thankful for His incarnation and for His uh, crucifixion, resurrection, and His subsequent ascension. And we know that He now reigns at, at Your right hand and will reign on this earth in the Millennial Kingdom and eternally in the new heavens and the new earth. We pray that You'd help us to be able to have perspective this morning and illumination as our minds are changed to think rightly about our Savior, we pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Alright, this morning we are on the doctrine of Christ, and next week we'll look at His works. Today we want to see uh, Jesus Christ as He is, and um, this is one of the greatest mysteries of all time that you have God uh, becoming man. And uh, when we talk about uh, the, the person of Christ or the, the doctrine of Jesus Christ, um, it might be helpful just to have a summary statement here, so I put this on your handout here. Jesus Christ was fully God and fully man in one person and will be so forever. Um God taking on human flesh. The Old Testament talks about this. The New Testament affirms it, and uh, we'll see the importance of it as we look today. I mean, it's, it's very. When you think about it, you have a baby in a manger, man, while at the same time he is upholding the universe with his power. Colossians chapter one, verse seventeen. That 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 was what was going on uh, at the same time that he's providentially ruling all things he's also a baby uh, a helpless little baby in in a in a manger in Bethlehem and so this is the great mystery how does the human nature and the divine nature work together uh, how can these things coexist and uh, perhaps the greatest explanation comes from John chapter 1 and uh, I'll just read a few verses here John chapter 1 says in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God. and then verse fourteen, the Word speaking of Christ became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Jesus was fully God and fully man and yet uh he was although he was he had distinct natures that is humanity he was human and divine he was still united as one person and um so so we may be thinking about this and and say well it doesn't really matter i mean why does this really matter who who really cares that jesus was man jesus was god i mean What's the the importance of this? Turn to uh, 1 John chapter 4 with me, because John tells us why this is important. We don't want to minimize this. We don't want to just uh, leave it to mystery and say, well, we can't fully understand it, so just give up on it. We can understand it to the extent that the Scriptures explain it, and to the extent that our finite minds will allow us to, but to to set it aside and say it's unimportant would be the wrong response. 1 John chapter four, would someone read verses two and three? By this you know the Spirit
1: Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ is in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God, this is the spirit which you have heard that it is and now is already in the world.
0: Alright, John makes a clear line of distinction here. You want to know who the people of God are and who the enemies of God are? The people of God are those who confess that Jesus came to earth, that He He was uh, incarnated, okay? that, that He actually became flesh. And if a person denies that Jesus came in the flesh, then John says very clearly, He is not of God. In fact, that's the spirit of Antichrist which is coming into the world and now is. The point is there's many Antichrists that, that have come. There's many false uh, false teachers that, that teach this. So what we want to do today primarily is break this down into um, these two main natures, or two main, the two only natures of Christ and that is His human nature and His divine nature. Okay, That is, He is both human and divine. We're going to spend a lot of time on His humanity because we tend to minimize this one more than the other. We we, we don't have a lot of trouble understanding that He is God. The thing that, that we have trouble understanding that He was fully man. Uh, we, we usually think that He's partially man or that He took on some of what we had. And, and so there he wasn't he didn't fully um he didn't fully become man so let's let's talk about first of all why did Christ have to be human why did Christ have to be human what's the importance of christ becoming human number one last week we talked about um representative our representative father in adam that Because Adam sinned, we all sin. That we have a sin nature because of Adam. And I said last week that you may not think that's fair. That that we have to have Adam as our representative. But but if you say that, then you also have to say that this is not fair either. Okay, so here's the point. That because one man sinned, we all sinned. But then Romans 5.19 says, Because of one man's obedience, all are made righteous. Okay, that is all who are in him all of the people that Christ represents also have that same obedience added to them. So, the first reason is representative obedience. We needed someone to represent us us before God because we can't represent ourselves, obviously, because of our sin. Number two, to be a substitutionary sacrifice. Okay, you understand that that as God... um, God the Father cannot die. Why is that? Anyone have any idea? Okay, He's a spirit, and, and He is immortal. He is eternal. He has no beginning, no end. He cannot die. And so, in order for us to have someone to die for us, it had to be God. He had to be perfect, but He also had to be man in order that He could die, you see? So, He's our substitutionary sacrifice. Number three, to be our mediator. We needed Christ to represent us to God and and to represent God to us. Turn to Job chapter nine. Job chapter nine verse thirty three. And Job really hits the nail on the head long before Christ had come, and he recognizes this problem that that we needed a mediator. We needed a go between. Someone read verse
1: thirty three, Job nine, thirty three. There is no umpire between us. Who may lay his
0: hand upon us both? Alright, Job's Job's uh concerned here. He's talking with his friends and he says there's nobody here that that can can arbitrate between me and God between us humans and God there there's no one that can go in between us and do that until Jesus came you see and and when Jesus came he was because he is both God and man following his birth then he he can represent us he can represent God to us same same sort of thing um he he understands us, he understands God because he is both God and man. Number four, to rule creation. The original pattern or purpose that God had given to mankind was to rule creation. And of course, man failed in that. They didn't fully do that. And now uh, creation is somewhat in uh, chaos until Christ comes to reign and he will at that point rule creation, not just other humans, but all of creation, plants, animals, uh, weather, everything. Number five, to be our example or our pattern. There's no better example for us to follow than than Christ. And so this wasn't the primary reason He came. There are some who believe that this, that He simply came to be an example, and they cut out this one right here, that He wasn't really our substitutionary sacrifice. He just came to show us what love looked like. And that is true. That if you want to, do you want to see true love? Then look at Christ. I mean, he laid down his life for his friends. That's that's love right there. So that's true, but that's not the primary or only reason he came. This is the primary reason he came to be our sacrifice. Um, I think that I said there were six, but there's actually seven. Number six to be our pattern for redeemed bodies. Jesus' resurrection body was the first fruits of those who follow him. So. Um, he was what's called the first he was the first to be resurrected to eternal life ok you recognize Lazarus was resurrected other people were resurrected in the scriptures but, but ultimately to have a redeemed body Christ was the first and so he becomes a pattern for our redeemed bodies for when we are resurrected and then finally to be our high priest he has Struggled in every way, just like we are, yet without sin. And so, therefore, he can sympathize with us. He can be a merciful and faithful high priest. That's really what, what the high priest was. He was a go-between. He was like that mediator that we were talking about earlier. And Jesus becomes the, the uh, high priest par excellence. Alright, so that's why Jesus came. How do we know Jesus was human? How do we know He was human? Well, obviously the Bible tells us, and uh, that's usually the best way to tell. Galatians 4.4, 4, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman. Okay, So if He's born of a woman, this is not some sort of, of hybrid um, uh, a mixture of a divine human uh, person. This is actually an actual human, fully human. He was born just like we were. Luke chapter 1, um, verses 31-35, to 35, it says, You will be with child, the angel to Mary, to Mary, and give birth to a son, and you are to give the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I am a virgin, the angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the holy one is to be born will be called the son of god this um this passage here speaks to the importance of the virgin birth i've talked about this before but um but i'll just mention a few things about it in order for jesus to be fully man he had to be actually born okay think about what it would have been like if jesus just some somehow just kind of um just got transplanted from heaven to earth as a grown man, okay? Almost like coming as an alien to the earth. The, the people would be like, well, "Who is this guy? We've never seen him before. He wasn't born of natural birth." And so, so he had to be born, okay? So the virgin birth is important for that because there actually was a normal birth, but he also had to be God. He had he couldn't have. An earthly father in the sense that we do there couldn't have been procreation happening and there's a couple of reasons for that one is if he would have had an earthly father he would have had adam's sin passed down to him okay because adam is our representative and so uh the way that god has designed it is that the sin is passed down through the father not that the mother is sinless again um and um and you husbands you know that right um but um but but it is because the this because Adam sinned and he's our representative and so it's passed down through the father. So Jesus couldn't have an earthly father in that sense. He also couldn't have an earthly father because he would have taken on personality. If there was procreation that happened between his father Joseph and and Mary, then he would have taken on another personality. That is he would have been two persons. He would have been a person eternally Christ and then another person would have been born basically but see jesus was already a person so the only thing he needed was a body um and that came through natural birth uh that that is uh certainly complex to understand i know but um but that's why the virgin birth was so important um Let me just read you a quotation from uh, Wayne Grudem, who's a uh, theologian. And uh, he's very, very easy to understand as far as uh, theologians go. He says, Praise God that He sent His Son in the way that He did. God ordained a combination of human and divine influence in the birth of Christ so that His full humanity would be evident to us from the fact of His ordinary human birth from a human mother and His full deity would be evident from the fact of his conception in the Virgin Mary's womb, by the powerful work of the spirit. Um, so so again, the virgin birth is what what allowed him to remain both God and become human. Any questions so far on on the uh, the humanity of Jesus Christ? All right, hopefully. You probably have lots of questions in your mind about this whole process and how this works, and what what about some of these things that took place in his life? And hopefully we'll get to some of those as we go. But but if you do have other ones as they come up, just just uh, write them down and we'll we'll try to get to them. How is Jesus like us? Okay. How is Jesus like us? He had a human mind and a human body, and the reason that we know this is again because he was a baby. He was actually placed in a manger. Um, he had a normal uh, pregnancy and, and delivery, just like just like everyone else. The only thing that was different was his conception. Again, um, he was uh, held by the righteous Simeon. Remember, Simeon held him up and and praised God. He also grew in wisdom and in stature. That is, he actually had to learn things. He actually had to grow. He didn't come out a full-sized human. He grew just like everybody else physically. And so Jesus human body was like ours in every way. He hungered, he thirsted, he grew tired when he was on long journeys, he he required sleep. He wasn't some superhero where he he was kind of the pinnacle the, the uh the um the mindset that we tend to have when it comes to Jesus is that he was was some superhuman in the sense that that if he were ever in a race he could run and he could win that race okay uh, if he was ever having an arm wrestling match he'd be the one that would win but he was just an ordinary man he was probably fairly short as being a Jew he was probably short they were they were shorter at that time um, and um, and uh, I'm going to hand you this uh, this this uh, this worksheet here this handout at the end of class, I'll do it at the end. Um, and it it it's from Dr. Snowberger. He he talks about some of the misconceptions that we have about Christ with regard to his sickness, whether or not he he um, hit hit his thumb with a hammer when he's working as a carpenter, whether or not he you know he was immune from all sorts of diseases and things like that. We tend to think, okay, he was because he was this super uh, superhuman person and um and really, he in order to show his humanity, it doesn't minimize his deity the fact that he actually was sick, the fact that he actually did have to learn things, it actually shows that he was human and uh and uh, and this is a great handout for this. this is from Dr snowberger's blog, and I just printed it for your benefit so I'd encourage you to read that um and I'll hand it out at the end of class. Alright, Jesus also had emotions. This is why we know He's human. He's just like us. He had emotions. When He found out about things, when He learned things, He was astonished at times. He was amazed. Uh, Like, for example, the faith of the centurion. Um, And then also, he He had emotions. When Lazarus died, He wept. Right? So, Jesus was like us in every way, Yet, without sin, and that's really the answer to this next question. How is Jesus different from us? How is he different from us and that is that he was without sin. He had no sin nature um, he He was not born in sin like we are. He was not conceived in sin. remember david says uh, in psalm I think it's one thirty nine when he's talking about how he's fearfully and wonderfully made he says in sin, my mother conceived me. That is, from the very time I was in the womb, I was I was in sin. And um, and again, we we do sin by choice, but we also sin because of our sin nature. And this is important that Jesus was sinless, because um, it shows us that He is our merciful and faithful High Priest. Hebrews 4:15 says, "We do not have a High Priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness." but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Alright, so so although he was fully human, he he was without sin. I put a little note there at the bottom of that page. We often say to err is human. That's not technically true. To err is fallen human. And that means that Jesus could still be fully human and not sin. That's why I put that on there. Because we tend to say, well, we when we say that to err is human, that is every human must sin, then what we say is that Jesus is not fully human. So we have to be careful there the way that we say that. To err is is fallen human. All right, further evidence of his humanity. This is, uh, to me, very interesting. Um, in fact, let's turn to Matthew chapter 13. matthew chapter thirteen his his hometown people from his hometown thought that he was just a normal human. They had no idea that this was the son of God. Chapter thirteen would someone read uh verses fifty three to the end of the chapter?
2: his sisters are, are, they not all with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense of him, but Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief.
0: Alright, so when Jesus came back to Nazareth after being gone uh, for a while, people are confused. When he was walking around among us, he didn't have some, some holy glow or a halo over his head that set him apart as some godly person. He just seemed like an average Joe to us. right? So where did he get all these miracles? Isn't this the same guy that was Mary's son and who had these brothers, James and Joseph and, and Simon and so on? I mean, this guy is just an ordinary man. How can he do all these things? And so what that tells us is from the time of his birth, not that he, okay, he he kind of um, took on deity at some point. Like some people say, well, he wasn't really human until he got, until his baptism, when he was baptized, then that's when he became, that's when Christ entered Jesus' body and all this, this nonsense. No, Jesus, Christ was fully human from the time that he was conceived and and uh people didn't see him any differently and what that tells us is that he was just an ordinary man. Um but he was also uh extraordinary in the sense that he he was God. Uh we know this that that by the way that that Christ didn't enter his body at his baptism because can you think of any examples when he was younger than that 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 he actually showed that he was of God? The exactly. The temple when he was 12 years old, right? he he speaks to the people of the temple and he tells them what the old testament scriptures mean from there and and what that you know maybe his whole hometown didn't know about that apparently his 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 own family didn't know right cuz remember john chapter 7 verse 5 says even his brothers didn't believe in him and as we we used to wrestle with him when we were kids we we used to we used to tease him we you know it wasn't a big show for him that that he was god uh, as as a young man, I don't believe. I don't think it was like a Joseph type thing. Hey, I had a dream and, and uh, this is my dream and you guys are going to bow down to me one day. I don't think that was the case. I think he was just an ordinary uh, young man and, and was very humble, obviously, and um, was not trying to flaunt, flaunt his deity. Why would he try to withhold that? Why would he not tell everybody about that from the time he was young? I think the answer is because that wasn't the timing for it. Okay, the timing was once he got into his public ministry, he was going to start revealing these things, start showing that I have the power of God, and I'm going to show it to you through these miracles, that I am the promised one. Mark.
1: Even if the up,
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that was his first public miracle. His mother said, hey, um, you know, they're all out of wine. What can you do for us? Right. Yeah, I think she did. Right. But I think his brothers are the ones that... I think that was John 7, 5, so that even his brothers didn't believe. I think she and Joseph understood what was going on. Cause both of them had been visited by the angel. They understood. But I don't think any of his, the rest of his family, his neighbors, had any clue. And that's why they were, they were um, continuing on unbelief for quite some time. It really wasn't until after his resurrection that his family started to come to um, to believe in him. James, for example, his brother, who would later be the the um, the the pastor of the church at Jerusalem and also write the book of James, he did come to faith in Jesus Christ, but it wasn't until much later. Yes, Bill. Uh,
3: that second line there where it says, the people in his hometown saw him as human.
0: Yep.
3: If you ever get an opportunity to study Psalm 69 with that verse right there, and it will break your heart.
0: Psalm 69?
3: Yeah. He was mistreated. They uh, mistreated his mother because of him. In the taverns, they got drunk and they up great songs about him. And that's the reason I mentioned simply because of him in his hometown. It was,
0: yeah. It's just perfect. Yep. And, um, and again, yeah, it is. It's sad. I mean, that he comes back to his hometown and he says, you know, even though I'm a prophet, I'm not even worthy of honor in my in my own hometown. In other words, you know, if any place you should be accepted, it should be your hometown. And yet, yet, he comes home and they, they don't accept him. And so, John chapter 1, verse 11, you know, he came unto his own. And I think there it's speaking more of Jews. But he came unto his own and his own did not receive him. And then the very next verse is one of the greatest verses in the Bible. But as many as receive him. Okay, they rejected him, but now he's going out to everybody else that's you and me to them gave he the right the 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 privilege to become sons of God. They tried to him off the cliff, right? who's that Oh yeah, right yeah, yeah, exactly. So we have people in his hometown and then his own family saw him as human and I'm speaking primarily, I think Mark brings up a good point. his mother certainly. Did know. And I, I believe Joseph did, obviously, as well. But as far as his uh, siblings, I don't think they had any clue. All right, well, what is Jesus like now? I, I began with this summary saying that Jesus is fully God and fully man in one person and will be so forever. Okay, so, so what did not happen was that he had his virgin birth, he, he became human, he died, he resurrected, and then he goes back to being the Logos. Christ, that is. Um, he still is, obviously, Christ, but, but He's also still fully human. And the reason we know that is because of a couple of passages in Scriptures, but here's the main one. Chapter 1 of Acts, verses 9-11. through 11. The same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven, the angel says, will come back in the same way you have seen Him go into heaven. That He now has, uh, as a result of this virgin birth, He has forever joined that e- e- uh eternally that uh human and divine nature into one. Um even at the end of the Bible you have in the book of Revelation him coming uh bodily and um and we as as humans will also be eternally human and so Jesus again is our our um example our our pioneer, we could say, with regard to our redeemed bodies, that's what Jesus is like. Now he's both fully God and fully man, and he is so eternally. All right, so that's um, that's the humanity of Christ. Jesus is fully human, and I would encourage you again to to read through this when you when you get it, uh, preferably not during the service, but maybe before the service or after. That'd be great. Any uh, thoughts on his humanity, Mark?
1: Fully human, fully God, to the extent that they, there was an awareness, a cross-awareness, um, I think of the um, where Jesus healed the woman who was walking along the road mm-hmm. and all she touched with yep. the and he perceived in himself the power went out from him. Right. Was that human perception or...
0: Yeah. We'll we'll get to that at the end, how these two two things work together. There's clearly a distinction between those two, but there's also a unity. So we don't want to try to say, okay, well, this was His human nature talking. This was His divine nature talking. We'll get to that when we get to the end. But that is a good question because there's also that phrase where He says, uh, no one knows the day or the hour, not even the Son of Man. Speaking of me as a human, I, I don't even know when I'm going to return. And... So so obviously his godness didn't speak to his humanity at that point. There are certain things that, and we'll talk about this when we get to Philippians chapter 2. So I think some of that will be answered probably not satisfactorily because it's very uh, complex, but, but um, do the best we can. All right, let's move to his deity, that is that he is fully God. We know that he is fully God, and most of us would not deny it. There are scriptural evidence to show this. The names of God uh, are often attributed to Jesus Christ. Uh, We see this in the book of Isaiah. We see this in the New Testament. Paul does this throughout his letters. When he begins a letter, he says, Grace and peace be to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That is, the grace that you're going to receive, the peace that you're going to receive, comes from, and he links both of them together. God the Father and Jesus Christ. um, Suggesting that he is Fully, God. Colossians two nine says, "In Christ, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form." Hebrews one three, the Son is the perfect, exact representation of who God is. You want to see who God is? Then look at Jesus Christ. That's that's how we know. Isaiah chapter nine verse sixteen. That that's the New Testament. Um, uh, speaking of Hebrews one three and Colossians two nine, and then the Old Testament. Uh, Isaiah chapter nine verse six says that his name will be called the Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, and so on. So again, the names of God are attributed to this Messiah, Jesus Christ. And Jesus claims to be fully God. Probably the most, probably the clearest evidence of this comes in John chapter eight when he's speaking to the Jews, um, following the 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 feast of lights and he says to them um, you know um, before abraham was born i am and he he clearly links himself to the god of the old testament they they asked him how can you know you know how how can you know abraham you're you're not even 50 years old yet and 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 you're saying that that you knew about abraham's birth you don't know that and he said before abraham was born i am They picked up stones to stone him because they did not believe. And they saw this as a blasphemous statement. Well, why would they do that? Well, they thought that they they recognized that when Jesus says, I am, he's connecting himself. He's claiming to be God. And so they saw that as blasphemy and tried to kill him right there on the spot. Also, his attributes unmistakably belong to God. Okay, he feeds the 5,000. He walks on water. He turns water into wine. He calms the storm with the Word. Those are only things that God can do. His omnipotence. His omniscience. He knew people's thoughts. He knew that Judas was going to betray Him. He knew the, the woman at the wells. He knew what was going on in her life. And so on. That that He is immortal. Um, that that uh, while His as a human, he can die. His divine nature cannot die. And so he has the authority to raise his life up again, he says. Okay, so all these attributes speak to the fact that he is fully God as well. Now turn to Philippians chapter 2 because this is, um, this is the passage that I think will help address some of the questions that Mark was bringing up. Is there?
1: Yeah.
0: Alright. What is it? Immor oh immorality, thank you. Yes, that's not a that's not an attribute of, of Jesus Christ. Yes, it's supposed to be immortality. <laughs> thank you. That I don't usually like when people uh you know, tell me about mistakes, but that that was a good one. I need to know about those. All right. So we see um Jesus in his divine nature shares the divine attributes of God. Okay. He shares the attributes of God. And and Jesus can say to Philip, If you have seen me, then you've seen the Father. And so some ask, okay, well, what does this mean then that that Jesus gave up some of his divine attributes? Look at Philippians chapter two, beginning of verse five. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus who, although he existed in the form of God, deity, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The main phrase that I want to focus on in the beginning is at the beginning of verse 7. But he emptied himself. Okay, He emptied himself and took on the likeness of men, the end of the verse says. What is that referring to? If Jesus emptied himself, did he empty himself of his godliness? of His deity, that now He's no longer God or He's just partially God. And, and and from the rest of the Scriptures and from what we've already shown from the New Testament, Old Testament, His attributes, and from His own claims, that's not the case. He's not partially God. So so when we say that He emptied Himself, it doesn't mean that He emptied Himself of His deity. It also doesn't mean that He emptied Himself of His attributes. That is, now no longer is He all-powerful? Is He all-knowing? Because we've already seen examples where He is. And so I think the answer is that um, Jesus emptied Himself of the... He gave up the independent right to His moral attributes. I think that's the point of it. All the glory that was due to Him as being God, He now gave that up to become humble, to become a man, to be ridiculed, and to give up the the independent use of those attributes. That is, I can use these whenever I want, basically. Now I'm going to give them up to to confine myself to a a human body. Now, obviously, God allowed him to use those attributes as he saw fit, but that's basically uh, how that worked. We... uh, we changed the words of the song to, uh, I think it's, And Can It Be? We used to sing, in fact, the original words of the song are, He emptied Himself of all but love. Okay? And, and the idea that comes that actually comes from Philippians chapter 2, but what the, but I think the wrong interpretation of it, that, that, got, that Jesus is giving up all of His attributes. That's not what happened. And so now what we sing is, He emptied Himself and came in love. In fact, that's the way the text has been changed in our hymn books. Um, And that's a result of people who have addressed this issue, that, that Jesus didn't empty all of his attributes out. He emptied the independent use of them, and he still was fully God. Mark. Right, yeah, um, and I think that, that offer that Satan gave was a legitimate offer too. It wasn't just like uh, you know you you know you're gonna basically he's saying I'll allow you to avoid all of this torture that you're going to have to this removal from God the the separation from God that he's going to experience on the cross I'll allow you to skip all that and just become enjoy all the kingdoms of the world. Um, so. Let me just quickly go through these heresies, okay, and I'll just give you the blanks and you can um first one is fully. Claim that Jesus was fully not was not fully God, Arianism, then Apollinarianism, um claim that Jesus had a human body but not a human mind or spirit. And uh you have the last two. I want to get to this last part, which uh really addresses Mark's question from before with regard to his human and divine nature, how they work together. This is what's known as the hypostatic union. I'm not sure if I put that on your handout. I did. Hypostatic union. The the union of his human and divine nature. We want to avoid those previous things that I just put up there, those heresies that say, well, he's only God or he's only man. No, he's fully God and fully man. And um, so we want to see how these things work together. Um, in Matthew chapter 8, we have Jesus asleep in the boat. And and yet in the very next instant, when they wake Him up, this is during this huge storm, you remember, that's out on, on the sea there. And they wake Him up and they say, Don't you care that we're perishing? And what does Jesus do? He gets up. And he calms the storm. He says, peace, be still. Okay, so we have there a just back to back. You have the limitation, we could say, of his humanity, his weak human nature that required sleep because he had been staying up for long periods of time, either teaching or praying. Remember, he'd get up early in the morning and go off to places and people were mobbing him and it was hard for him to get away. So when they would be asleep, he would be out praying. And he didn't have much time to sleep, and so he would, you know, trips like this. You know, people who just uh, work themselves like this, they can sleep almost anywhere. And that's the way Jesus was. He falls asleep in the boat in the middle of a storm, shows his, the weakness of his human nature. But then in the very next instant, you see his omnipotence. He's able to calm the storm with the word of his mouth. And um, so we need to recognize that, that there is a distinction between Christ's deity that He is God and His humanity that He is man. There is a distinction, um, but there's also unity there. Although we distinguish between things done, this is from Grudem again, uh, the theologian. Although we can distinguish between things done by Christ's two natures, if we overdo it too much, then what we preach is a schizophrenic Jesus who has two persons trapped in one body. But Jesus in the Scriptures doesn't give us that option. He always speaks of Himself as I. He never says we. Okay. Uh, the Bible gives us a consistent picture of a single person acting in wholeness and unity. And while we can distinguish actions of His divine nature and actions of His human nature to help us understand some things, It's telling that the biblical authors do not find it necessary to try to delineate them. That was Jesus' human nature working. That was Jesus' divine nature working. It just simply says Jesus. And so what we have here is one person Jesus the Christ, the Messiah. And he has two natures human and divine. And they somehow are unified together. We don't have to always, we need to recognize the distinction, but we don't have to always attribute. Whatever action or word he said to one or the other, does that is that clear? Does that make sense? Why that's important? Okay, so this is this is not the clearest um, thing for us to understand the 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 unity, the the working together. It really is a mystery the the human and divine natures of Jesus Christ. But perhaps it would be good for us to just consider a passage from Colossians chapter one that I put up here. I'll read this for you, and this, uh, this I think, will speak to, to both of these. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. He is also head of the body. The church, and he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile all things to himself, having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. That the eternal God came to earth and shed his blood. So that we could have life. That's the that that is the gospel. That Jesus became man and and died in our place. Any questions on Jesus' humanity, his deity, the um, the union of those two? All right, probably requires a little bit of um, reflecting on for a while. I think that would probably be a good thing. Bill.
3: When he's on the cross, real close, the literal is he dismissed his church. Where you and I, when our time comes, we're going to be struggling. But he just allowed his to leave his body.
0: Yeah. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. he's right. prays on the cross, right?
3: Right there. If I believe in teaching politics, it would be enough for me.
0: Well, yeah, the the danger that people say is that oh even jesus um tried to guard against this is that no one has taken my life from me john 10 says no i lay it down i think that's clear when he gets to the cross and he says no i'm actually giving up my life no one's really taking it from me i'm actually laying it down um good jonathan Yeah.
2: You might like say he was putting his outward kind of manifestations of who he was into like another vessel and saying, Okay, stay there for a minute, I'm gonna go like this and go back and get it later. I don't know, I don't say it, but because obviously he was God, I mean you know, he might glow brightly, who knows? I mean there'd be things be obvious that he would be able to see who he was. So he couldn't be like that, he had to be human.
0: Right
2: and not be obviously God, so
0: Yeah, and he I mean, his his human body was subject to all the same um, afflictions that we are. Even though he was without sin, he still had the consequences of sin on his, his fallen body. In other words, it was fallen in the sense that all of creation is cursed as a result of the fall. And things like plants, you know, now there are weeds, and animals die and things like that. Those types of things happen as a result of the fall. And so the same thing is... Jesus was subject to the same infirmities that we are, except without sin. Uh, But yeah, we don't want to really picture him like he had some, you know, um, superhero body inside of himself, and so that his real body was just kind of a shell. That wasn't really how it was. Um, He he had every everything was just like us, flesh and blood, uh, real blood, not not divine blood. It was real human blood that was shed for us, and and um, so so I take that Philippians two as as a setting aside the glory that was due to him, the glory that was due to him from being God and being recognized as God. He set that aside to become a man, so that he could be humble and and um, not have independent use of his attributes as he as he once had. Right. He was going to was going to fulfill what the Father had sent him to do. Exactly. Yep. Alright, let's pray and uh, we'll be dismissed. Father, thank you for Jesus Christ. And uh, certainly today's uh, uh, subject and, and conversation has been complex. And uh, we recognize our finiteness and we ask for your help in trying to understand them. As the Scriptures have laid them out, we want to avoid the heresies that can come from uh swinging the pendulum too far to one side or the other we want to understand uh, Jesus Christ rightly that he was fully human and i thank you for the fact that he did come to earth that he was uh born and and lived a life just like us with all sharing all the infirmities that we do and and yet was sinless and we thank You most of all that He was willing to give Himself up for us to die because we could not die for ourselves. We we never would have been able to pay for our own sin. And so the only way that we can have a right standing before You is through Him. And so we praise You for Jesus Christ. And uh, we look forward to seeing His face and be made to be made like Him. And uh, we pray that that day will come quickly as He returns in Your timing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.